electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Seberg, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it's an Amazon takeover. Tech guru and Fast Money friend Roger McNamee will be here to tell us why he's so excited about Amazon's next frontier and just how high he sees the stock going. Plus, the man who called the market rally says there is one thing keeping him up at night. J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic will explain what that is and just how worried you should be, too. But first... We are just days away from retail Super Bowl, Black Friday, and many retailers are probably dreaming of something like like this. You know, the days of Black Friday is past when people would literally lose their minds, trample over each other to get the newest TV at a discount. Moms everywhere would throw down and threaten Mortal Kombat if you dared take the last Beanie Baby or Furby off the shelves. But the reality is Black Friday might look something like this. Yep, you see it there. Everyone huddled around their computer or smartphone just clicking away, skipping the entire in-store experience, all the fun of a good Black Friday mob. (laughs) So will it be Black and Blue Friday for retailers? Or will their dreams come true, Guy Adami? Will their dream? Well, you know where I won't be. I mean, that whole running into people. Dude, you better get out of my ways. I'm sharpening my elbows. I'm coming after you for my doorbuster. What could be a worse experience? I mean, and think, well, I won't get into... People, what have they eaten the day before and some of the sights and smells of this? I digress. You just, you just did. For some people, this is a huge deal, though. I mean, you hear huge. Courtney Reagan talk about it. Pete Najarian will be at the Mall of America on Friday. It's a big event. So for a lot of people, this is a big deal. Not for G-Swizzle. But to answer your question, I think some retailers win, and I think we've seen that in some of these stocks. Target had a nice run to the upside. Obviously gave some weak guidance, but I think this $58 level is interesting. Nordstrom's, to me, is the one that sticks out like a sore thumb. Not that people are flocking to Nordstrom's on Friday, so don't give me that. But what I will say is this. You have a huge double bottom. You have a decent quarter on November 10th. You have a significant short interest. And you have the potential for positive headlines. So I like JWN and Target into these yeah. Friday. Well, see, I think you could just kind of avoid the department stores altogether. And you think about in the last week, what have we seen make new all-time highs? We saw Walmart and we saw Home Depot. When you think about that, we saw improvement for their online selling channel. So it kind of speaks to what you're talking about. The guys who have been actually making improvement, making inroads, kind of competing a little better with Amazon are going to continue to do well. I think that's pretty clear. The flip side of that is that any gains that you're going to see in the next few months, I think, from these more traditional department stores, I think it's going to be very short-lived. And then once we get out of the holiday season, you're going to see some of the problems that they've had competing um, that, that we've seen for the last couple of years. Isn't buying Walmart, though, you know, into Flash Friday? I'm just, okay, because, I mean, to me, I think Walmart has a lot of ground to give up on the downside yeah. based upon the expectations that these guys have suddenly be converted into an e-commerce story. I know how Mr. Seberg feels about it. Look, exactly. we're, we're at a place here where I, I think two things are happening. What you're starting to see is actually some of the brick-and-mortar physical location retail 
retailers are starting to leverage their online play in the same way. Look, apparently Amazon, we just got done talking about how they're using Whole Foods to be a place to to leverage their physical asset base. I, I, I think the concept that some of these department stores um, have played themselves out of business is overdone. And, you know, I'm long Macy's and I think Macy's, you know, Jeff Jeanette, this is his first holiday season. They've had 12 straight you know, quarters of, of downward sales. I don't think it turns overnight, but they've changed the store experience. They're leveraging their physical properties and the expectations are zero for them. Right. XRT bottom six months ago. You, you heard it. You've heard it multiple times in the last couple months, I think, here. But I do think that you've yeah, seen retail. Six months ago. The XRT has not been above 42 for six months. It's been trading below. It's been 42. trading sideways it's for six months. It's down Dan. on the year. It's down. I don't care what it's done. I don't care what it's done on the year. I'm telling you, the down trade is yesterday's trade. And I think it probably bottomed six months ago. Yeah, I mean, look, Macy's, you know how I feel about Macy's. I don't love the stock here. It's not something I'd be an investor in, except you got to look at a 7% dividend yield. I mean, People want to see that. I'm not going to buy a stock because they of the yield, but there cut. are people. They want to but see it cut. but That's I think the reality is it's probably not going to be cut. I think headline coming into to this, you know, Black Friday. I guess the question is, who's going to win? Who's going to lose? I look at it and say Walmart's going to get a lot of fanfare headlines. You'll see fights. You'll hear about fights. People running in and getting stuff really cheap. The reality is brands are going to win, in my opinion. I still love Adidas. I think Skechers. That those are names that are going to are going to continue to dominate, mainly because they got that brand. You know, sort of uh, set up. In terms of getting things really cheap, though, we got to think about the retailers that can afford to offer those cheap discounts on a Black Friday and throughout the holiday season and still do okay. Who can bankroll that sort of promotion and survive? Well, I mean, I think Walmart can bankroll that kind of promotion and survive. I think to a lesser extent, Target can uh, that. But then there are experience stores where they don't necessarily have to do that. And people. You remember earlier this year, Restoration Hardware was going out of business, according to a lot of people. And we talked about this, mm-hmm. and I think it was probably 14 or 15 or so months ago. Mm-hmm. And look at what this stock has done over the course of the last year. It's gone from 30 to 98 and change. A lot of it has to do with a huge short interest. A lot of it has to do with they actually figured it out, and they changed their business model, and they, and they got it right. Now, I think RH is probably in nosebleed territory, but for those that don't think that retailers can turn the boat around, I give you RH. Yeah, be careful. Short XRT? Yeah, no, I'm a little early. I got shorted at 40, so it's at 42. I'm not actually expecting a, a real blowout into the year end, and I think that, you know, here's the thing. I, I fully expect, you talked about promotions, I fully expect it to be, despite some of the, the, the uh, softness, or excuse me, uh, what, what do you want to call it? The good data we're seeing on consumer confidence, that sort of thing. It's going to be a very promotional period, and I think what's going on here is pretty clear. And, I, and you know, we mention this all the time. <coughs> Don't think for a second that Apple is going to be sucking a lot of air yeah, out right. of the retail that's, room that's right very now. Good point. Th- this phone has been capacity constrained. We know that they just introduced a new watch. I think it's very disappointing for Apple. They do not have a HomePod. We're talking about retail. One of the ways that Amazon is going to get a lot of people over the next week to, Am- uh, to their website, they're going to offer some great promotions on Alexa, all those devices. That is one of the hottest selling consumer product items out there. Right. You know what I mean? So. To to me, um, I think that obviously Amazon's going to have a draw. Apple's going to be uh, sucking a lot of air out, too. I, I think that's true. But it, you, you mentioned what's very important here. I think that this is as big of a tailwind going into this holiday season as retailers have had in maybe a decade. Uh, think about where consumer confidence, think about where wages are, think about actually where uh, the currency has been, think about where inventories are for these guys. They've, well, had, the they've had two years to get inventories in line. Yeah. This is, no one's going to be surprised by this. And here's the other thing. Black Friday started two days ago. I'm two, I'm two TV right. sets long into this season <laughs> no, already. Right. Right. So a doorbuster, Best Buy. You know, yeah, you're right. I got 55 inches of power what? going into my so bedroom. You look at brand. You look at brand. You look at high end. <laughs> Tiffany is another one that you can look at and say is going to do very well. But RH, I agree with you, guy. It is in parabolic, you know, levels. They levered up their balance sheet to buy back stock. Aggressively bought back stock. 
I mean, completely egregious in my opinion. That stock is a sell here. Well, can I ask a question? I usually ask the questions, sure. but like it just seems you're long Macy's. You had some positive things about the the um, department stores. I mean, to me, it just seems like these guys are not much off their recent lows. Okay, multi-year. Who's a buyer of these things? Are they really going no, to be question, able to but turn his this, point is, who's a seller? Like, if you're a, if you're a PM, if you owned a lot of these dysfunctional names in your fund. You're out. You're out the door. Just like when the energy setup was, when everybody purged their energy positions, it's like, who is the incremental seller? In this case, it's not who the incremental buyer is right now. That'll come. Who's the seller? Well, Whoever uh, wanted to get out is out. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm long Macy's from 1940. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, this is not a trade that I'm hoping for based upon a $28 price. The stock trades up on a, on a pop. And to me, the valuation is probably stuck past 26 bucks. But this thing should be trading at six and a half to seven times, which is, is actually sub the historical 10-year on it. I think free cash flow is better. I think the balance sheet is, is fine. And I think there's optionality there. That's, that's why I'm long the stock, not because things get great. It's definitely not that backdrop. Do you buy the retailer, the company that is uh, bricks and mortar, probably worst nightmare? Amazon. Ooh. <laughs> we're playing the Amazon game now. Yeah, I well, mean, that is the we, elephant in the been, room. Yeah, yeah, it's, the whole retail it's all the Amazon game, There is right? no reason to take your foot off the gas in Amazon. Rich I mean, Ross last night said the huh. same thing. Did, did he not? He well, just because a, he says it doesn't mean you believe it. But you're there saying you, you believe it. So, I mean, the, in the case of Rich Ross, I happen yeah. to believe in your that. Grill. Yes. Yeah, the opportunity there, the landscape for Amazon still is their fourth inning, you know, third, fourth inning. I mean, we, took, we put a report out yesterday about the pharmacy business and their sort of attempt to come in. And what's the, the, the smoothest pathway for them to actualize revenue there? It's to acquire Rite Aid. The, the, I think the risk to Amazon in 2018 is execution on all these really grandiose plans. They're doing a lot of things that they haven't. You know, like, when you think about it, you know, AWS was launched 10 years ago. This was a this was a story that Amazon investors right. were very very comfortable yeah. with, and they were waiting for it to pay off, and it really didn't. It subsidized the, like you know them growing their market share and retail. Now they're doing things you know with the bricks and mortar, with the who knows you know, and so it really is a matter of execution. And if the stock ever has a meaningful correction because of execution, we're to look back and say, well, that was kind of obvious. You know what I mean? It was a little kind of shift. They're going into content. They have Twitch. They're doing so many different things, right? Well, Amazon could ruin retail's Black Friday, and it's already got its next target in sight. Healthcare, the online uh, giant cloud business set to announce a deal with Cerner, a healthcare tech company. This would mark yet another addition to Amazon's ever-expanding empire. For more, let's bring in Elevation Partners co-founder Roger McNamee. Roger, great to have you with us. Is there a business that Amazon can't disrupt. It seems like it's the assumption that Amazon enters a business and they will disrupt it. Well, I, I think there's a lot of momentum in that hypothesis. I mean, if you look at it, the reality is that Amazon is the world's most successful player in cloud services. And any industry that has been reluctant to adopt cloud services has been at risk of being disrupted by Amazon. And I think healthcare is one of the places where the cloud has had much less impact than it could have or should have. And so I think that, you know, I disagree with David's point uh, relative to the risk on execution next year on this issue simply because I just don't think it's driving the numbers. So I look at this and say, yes, I do think some of these things are going to take longer to matter than you would, you know, than the ideal. But I do think they will be successful with it. And I think the deal with Cerner, it, it remains to be seen exactly how they apply it. But I suspect that it will accomplish something valuable for them, create a beachhead on which they can build more things. And at the moment, as uh, you guys said just a few minutes ago, this is a great year for the retail side of Amazon. It's a great year for retail in general. Mm -hmm. And Amazon's going to gain some share out of this cycle. And right. I don't know how much, and I'm not sure who the losers are, but they're going to have a really good Christmas, and 
that's all you need to know if you own the stock. You know what's interesting, though, Rogers? Amazon can go deeper into the sectors that have depressed valuations, let's put it. They can buy bricks and mortar, a sector that has not been doing well, that has seen depressed valuations, and the multiple goes up. It can go deeper into content. We've seen the media company struggle this year, and its valuation goes up. Why is it the assumption that it can go deeper into these businesses and the, and the valuation goes higher as opposed to gravitate towards the valuations of that sector it goes deeper into? Well, the, uh, you know, Melissa, I'm not quite sure that I have the crystal ball to tell exactly how that's going to turn out. My sense is that, uh, you know, the statistics show that in the United States we have wildly more retail square footage on the ground than any other country in the world. And there's just too many square feet of retail space, and it's allocated in a way that inevitably is going to have lots of losers. And Amazon is a factor in driving that, but I don't think it's the only factor. To me, the real opportunity for Amazon is not about bricks and mortar, and it's not about arbitrages against individual categories. It's really about this notion that they've changed the way the supply and distribution systems work, first in non-perishable products, now with uh, their whole effort in Whole Foods to go into perishables. They've done the same thing against cloud services. And I look at that and say, that change in the way things are distributed is a structural change in the economy that Amazon is doing pretty much all by itself. And so they're the one getting all the benefits. And I don't see why that's going to change in 2018. To me, the risk in the stock is external stuff. You know, tax cut goes through. Uh, people perceive that the deficit's going to go up. Interest rates start to rise. You know, that becomes a barrier for retailers in general, including Amazon. That's, to me, a much greater threat than, uh, than execution in 2018. Hey, hey, Roger, it's Tim. But So everything you said is right. The retailer's outlook looks grim. That's your view. But, but Amazon is arguably priced to perfection. And, and AWS oh, has been slowing. And so you're a rational guy. I mean, ultimately, at some point, where does this valuation price in? We know they are the death knell for every industry. We know that retail has changed. We know it's a new world. And, and if I knew, I probably would have been out of the stock a long time ago. The, the <laughs> great thing is the stock's been priced to perfection for years, right? Yep. And I look at this and I buy it when it goes down. I've never been able to call a top on it. I mean, I've been horrible at it, so I've stopped trying. And my basic view of the thing is I have a portfolio mix that right now is not overinvested. I can handle a correction if we get one. I have the position I want in Amazon if that comes. If this is the only stock you own and it's 100% of your portfolio, then I think the concern you're raising is exactly correct. The way I'm currently positioned, I like what I own it. I'm not worried about that issue. If the market does correct, I have a big cash buffer to allow me to buy things uh, when they hit the price points I'm looking for. And on Amazon, the one thing I can say is that the fundamental picture here is it's extraordinary because in each market in which they operate, they've changed the rules profoundly. And it makes it really hard for competitors to fight back. And so they're effectively playing a different game. And as a shareholder, boy, that, that feels like the best protection I could have. Roger, great to see you. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, happy Thanksgiving mm -hmm. to everybody. I hope and to the viewers especially. I mean, I'm thankful for all of you, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to you know, be alive at this time. So take care, all of you. Amen. Roger, thanks. Roger McNamee, Elevation Partners. Guy Dami, what do you think? There's a, there's a month. Listen, Amazon, he made the call. You can't pick a top. You know, he buys every dip that's there's been the been right no way. Top. And, he's, and there's no. been no top. Today made an all-time high. Quick trade. I know there's no way OA on Friday. 
American Express, a way to play the retailers, is a monster double top potential. I think there's an opportunity to sell it here, not unlike what we saw in Tesla a few months ago, and look for a move all the way back down to 80 bucks. Good OA segment for next Friday, Melms. Wow. Coming up, will the next mega merger be a chip deal? Broadcom might be making a new move on Qualcomm. We'll tell you why it's got investors so excited. Plus, Tim Seymour has had the hot hand when it comes to the fast pitch. And now he says one stock that's been uh, in the gutter is about to break out. He'll tell us the name and the trade. And later, there he is, the man who moves markets, J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic, getting ready to join us here on set with a bold new call. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The next mega merger could be with the chip makers and Broadcom just raised the stakes. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with the details. Josh. Melissa, Broadcom CEO Hock Tan didn't win over Qualcomm executives with that first offer, but maybe sweetening the offer would do the trick. Broadcom is considering raising its offer after talking it over with Qualcomm's top shareholders. That, according to Reuters, the level and timing of any new offer is unclear, but apparently it includes Broadcom now offering more of its own stock. Broadcom, remember, had previously made that $70 bid. Qualcomm did finish today up 2% at 68 bucks per share. Paul Jacobs, Qualcomm's executive chairman, did say Broadcom's current offer significantly undervalues his company. Now, even before this latest headline, analysts who cover Broadcom said they thought Hock Tan and his board would up that offer. RBC predicts high 70s, low 80s. If the deal does go through, it would create a tech powerhouse, the third largest semiconductor company behind Intel and Samsung, with more than $50 billion in revenues. Right now, though, these two are at odds. A proxy fight is a possibility with CNBC previously reporting that Broadcom is reviewing a slate of directors. Qualcomm's director nominee deadline is December 8th. Neither Broadcom nor Qualcomm responded to requests for comment. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Um, Qualcomm stock doesn't necessarily trade like this bid is going to be raised significantly at all. It doesn't even trade up to the previous offer. Well, again, it, you think about the, the regulatory environment we're in. Also, people certainly are probably worried on the antitrust side. Qualcomm has a lit- litany of, of licensing issues, and they have legal issues, and there's reasons why the stock is mired in the in kind of the mid-50s. Um, I think that's what's holding the stock back. The reality is that I think this bid goes significantly higher, and I would stay along the name. Right. You think about the risk-guard books and what's happened during all this telecom debacle, if you will. So you you're absolutely right. They are pressured, and that's a very good point. Going into year-end, you've got to be very sensitive. Remember what happened with the Pfizer-Hallergan scenario? It blew up books across the street. We're obviously in a very sensitive situation right now, so I think people are just being very cautious. Uh, there, there's no regulatory issues. That picture that they were just running was Hock Tan, the CEO of Broadcom at the White House. <laughs> yeah. Here's the risk to this whole this whole idea, though, of bringing jobs back and Avago, you know, or Broadcom coming back here. They buy Qualcomm, they're cutting jobs, jobs. in America. They're not adding jobs, you know what I mean? So that, that's really the catch-22 that I think that a lot of this M&A has in this environment. I think if they had tried to do this deal nine months ago, Qualcomm probably would have jumped at it. But I think Qualcomm's out of the malaise that they've been. They've been dealing with stuff for 18 months, issues in China, problems with Apple. A lot of it's self-inflicted, but now I think they're coming out of it. So I do think $70 is cheap. 
I'm not sure why the stock isn't trading to that level, but I do think this bid is going to get raised, and it's probably going to be north of 80 bucks when all is said and done. All right. Well, option traders are betting chip stocks could be due for a dip. So, Dan, why don't you break it down for us sure. over at the plasma? Well, let's look at the SMH. That's the ETF Careful. that tracks um, the semiconductor. Oh, careful. You've got to take yeah, these. Careful. Getting old, uh, man. Sector yeah. here. It's up 47% year-to-date. That's where it's the NASDAQ that's up 27 year, uh, 27% year-to-date. Um, options activity was pretty hot today in the SMH. Put volume was about 10 times that of calls. There was two really good-sized trades that stuck out to me for two different reasons. One was really short-dated, one was a bit longer-dated, but they're both put purchases to open. So today when the stock was trading around 105, there was a buyer 15,000 of the December 1st weekly. That's the week from this coming Friday, okay? The 102 and a half puts paying 30 cents to open on those. Those break even at 102.20 down about 3 and a half percent between now and December 1st. And then there was a purchase of 10,000 of the February 100 puts paying about $2.50 for those. Those break even down at 97.50 or about 7% from the trading level. And I just want to kind of go to the chart here. Look at you know, we can't really see the outperformance here, but you can see that this thing has actually gone kind of parabolic here. Obviously, that move in Qualcomm's helped. That 30% rally in Intel in the last couple months has helped. NVIDIA making new highs seemingly every day has helped a whole heck of a lot. But this is something that's getting pretty extended here. When you look at this breakout level, that was $90. So in the near term, they're playing for uh, a move back here. And then uh, in February, they're playing for a move back here. And then I just want to make one other point where why we're seeing possibly some outright put purchases in the name. This is implied volatility, the price of options in the SMH. It's nearing 2,017 lows here. So, you know, using long premium strategies, buying options to express directional views is making sense in this environment right now. All right. Thanks for that, Dan. The options action team, as Guy had mentioned, will be off this Friday for the holiday weekend. But join us back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time for more options action. Still ahead, a classic theory could be flashing a major sell sign. We'll tell you what it is and what it means for the market. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And the man who can predict the future, J.P. Morgan's Marco Kolanovic, has a bold call on the markets. He will be here. Plus, Chinese Internet stocks are on fire, having gained more than a half a trillion dollars this year. And the traders think one name in particular is going even higher. We'll tell you which one when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. If you thought the FANG stocks were your best tech bet, you might want to think again and look overseas to China. Chinese Internet stocks have been on fire this year, now performing their American FANG counterparts. For more, let's go to a man who's always red hot, Dom Chu. Dom. Well, Melissa, I have hot streaks here and there, but nothing even close to what some of these Chinese Internet companies have had. Forget about the FANG stocks. Look more towards the STAB ones, the S is for Sina, which is a big internet portal, kind of like the Yahoo or AOL of China. T is for Tencent, which is kind of like the Facebook of that country, and by the way, is worth more than Facebook now from a market cap perspective. A is for Alibaba, the e-commerce giant that many refer to as like the Amazon or eBay over in China. And B is for Baidu, which operates, among other things, a big search engine in China, kind of like Google. So if you thought our big tech companies were in fuego, Sina stock is actually up 84% year-to-date. Tencent has gained around 125%. Alibaba up 116%. And then Baidu is the quote-unquote laggard, only up by 53% this year to date. 
Now, if you take those gains, you translate them into market value gains, you're talking about adding nearly $600 billion just between the four of them, meaning STAB is now collectively worth around $1.1 trillion. One of the vehicles that some traders and investors are using is the CraneShare CSI China Internet ETF. That ticker is KWEB, K-W-E-B. The fund is around $1.3 billion in net assets, and it counts many of these types of stocks in its top holdings, including those stab names. It's also gained 76% this year to date. Of course, Melissa, some traders are now wondering if these stocks have gone just a little too far, too fast. Have too many traders already taken a stab at owning them? Back to you. Always witty, Dom. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving, Dom Chu. Um, I go to you, Tim. What do you think of the Chinese internet now, given their run? Well, so you, you want to get back to what matters is valuation. And a great way to figure out the valuation is what the growth is. And so people look at peg ratios. This is essentially your P.E. over your growth. Gives you a ratio of really what, you know, where you are. And if you look at the peg ratios on the Chinese names, especially Baba, um, you've got a peg ratio of a little over one. Uh, when you look at Tencent, it's actually probably a little under one. So, you know, relative to, you know, if, if, if Baba is... is your Amazon, I mean, the valuations aren't even close. Um, if Tencent is, and Tencent really, that's, look, that's a little bit of Facebook because that's, that's, uh, that's WhatsApp, that's all the gaming, that's Blizzard. That's, the, the thing about Tencent is you're also buying, to me, an incubator. And that's what's fascinating about these companies. I think they are spinning out companies and they've done multiple IPOs where they own at least controlling minority or majority stakes, including Best and C. These are things that they've just done in the last couple of weeks. These are multi-billion dollar IPOs that these companies have printed and I think they're still very attractive. And, and listen, Tim's been all, all over these. And Alibaba, I think, made an all-time high today, give or take. Yep. But, you know, the counterside is why doesn't Alibaba trade at a, even close to the same valuation? Maybe people are concerned. Is there some Fugazi stuff going on? And why do I mention that? You mean sham? Is that, a, tech, is that a technical term, guy? I want Fugazi to bring that down. I don't bring, think many people understand yeah. Fugazi. Yeah, sham yeah. going sham on. And, and yeah. well, well, I'll say that, you know, because Alibaba, I think they ship four times as many packages as Amazon. You could say it's obviously it's, it's a population thing. I get it. But they also have, like, double the gross margins of Amazon. Either they're kicking it on all kinds of levels or there's something a little in the, shammy there's, going there's on. There's also something really big is that, you know, for U.S. Internet companies to succeed in China, they've never been able to do it. I mean, they've, they've never been able to do it. So these guys have this kind of walled garden, which is yeah. them playing with the government the way right. they know how to do it. And so, you know, they're having tremendous growth. Here's another one. You didn't mention, I don't know how you'd fit that in the stab, but Weibo is up 190%. Yeah. a short messaging Stop. service. Stop. Uh, yeah, that was spun out by Cena. So that was essentially you own Cena, you own Weibo. But, but that's a, that's a, that's a, a product. Yeah. That, that's Twitter. You know, yeah. It is yeah. Twitter, but it's also a short message. And then you have Yuku, which is also buried inside of Tencent. So, I mean, again, there's, there's all – you watch, you know, you watch your, you watch your, your YouTube, you want your Google. you got Yuku inside of Tencent. That's why I say look at the pieces of these companies. It's extraordinary. You're essentially getting the entire tech sector in these names. All right. Our next guest is the man some say moves markets. And he is worried now about tech. And you want to listen to him, even if he does get a little technical sometimes, because he's been spot on. In fact, here's what he said the last time he was on the show. Actually, majority of, uh, of assets are non-single-name fundamentals, you know, and, and uh, in terms of volumes, it seems to be actually even more pronounced, you know, where we think that the fundamental single-name volumes are probably less than 10 percent, you know. So, so non-fundamental volumes would be everything from systematic, from passive, uh, but also macro investing, you know, so future ETF trading and stuff like that, which is not going to differentiate necessarily individual stocks, but rather themes, sectors, and macro developments. 
So as we said, thank goodness for those subtitles. Translation. Just keep fine. Well, that has worked out as the S and P has been up two and a half percent since that call. So let's welcome back Marco Kalanovic, JP Morgan's global head of derivative and quantitative strategies. Marco, it's always great to have you on the show. Thank you. Where do we stand at this point as we go into year end? It sounds like from your note, you see very limited downside and potential upside because of tax reform in 2018. That, that, that's correct, right? So already sort of in October, last time I was here, we basically said uh, that uh, there is upside risk, you know, and now we are sort of reiterating that when we look at the tax reform, we think market is underpricing probability of a tax reform. You know, we try to attribute how much market went up because of earnings, how much it went up because of tax reform. We think about 2.5% because of tax reform. Now, when we kind of solve how much tax reform could add to earnings, we calculate $12, and that would translate into 8%. So basically, 8 minus 3 is 5. You know, so we think basically 5% upside could be from here uh, if there is a, a movements on a tax reform. You know, so that's, that's one positive catalyst. Other is just the year-end seasonality. So we are now, you know, end of November, December, generally momentum works, growth works, market tends to drift higher, you know, like, so those two angles we think actually uh, could uh, give some more upside to market. How do you reconcile, though, the forecast for upside in the <clears> markets <throat> when you also point out in the same note that institutional buyers are almost fully invested? Correct, right? Like, so we are basically saying, like, look, there is an upside. Tax reform is a big catalyst. The question is, like, once when the tax reform happens, how much more can we go from there, you know? And, and we try to answer that by basically looking at positioning, looking at the potential sign of excesses in the marketplace, uh, looking at the systematic investors, how leveraged they are, you know, and actually on the positioning side, we find that retails, a retail investor is actually pretty levered up. So if you look at NYC margin debt uh, to S&P ratio, when you look at the percentage of U.S. household wealth invested in equities, uh, pretty high, you know, close to all-time highs, basically. Same thing on the institutional side, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, hedge funds, you know, both macro hedge funds, equity hedge funds, uh, high 90s percentage. Uh, that sounds scary. In terms of, like, percentile, historical percentile. So there, that, at the, at isn't at that the scary, though? I mean, it's, again, it's, we've moved, yeah. cash levels have gone from 4.8 to 4.3. That's... Sounds like everybody's on one lines. side of the boat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, th I, think, I think investors are a little bit on one side of the boat. You know, reason is likely central banks' low volatility. The reality is we do have a decent global growth, you know, so, so there are some decent fundamentals as well. But basically we're saying, okay, positioning is going to prevent to make this a very, very large upside, but we do still think upside is here. So, Marco, nobody seems to care about the yield curve, so we won't bring it up. Mm -hmm. But what derails your, thesis, your bullish thesis? So what derails the thesis is basically could be aggressive Fed hiking next year. Uh, it could be also ECB and BOJ sort of pulling back liquidity. Um, you know, it could be just simply valuation getting too stretched, you know, and, and uh, some of the technicals, you know, we, we talk about this like what we call quantitative exuberance. Basically, you have a lot of the uh, uh, leverage in the quant strategies, you know, so, so a little shock, kind of a little increase in volatility can kind of cause things uh, spiraling. But when we, you know, when, when bears take a look at sort of the canaries in the coal mine, they take a look at high yield, for instance. They, took a they take a look at the 210 compression. Are those things to worry about, or do you just brush them off? No, I, I think 210 is, is something to, to watch for. Like, you know, we are clearly forecasting flattening almost entirely next year, but uh, end of next year. But uh, I would say, like, more than that, probably uh, stuff like, you know, inflows into balance sheets, you know, some, some sort of situation that we did not have in the past, you know. So historically, flattening uh, sort of uh, is a little bit of a leading indicator of recession, but there is some, I'm, I'm not considered so much of flattening, more so kind of leverage and potential sort of uh, withdrawal of, of, of monetary inflows in, into the financial assets. Marco, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Gobble, gobble.
Can I? I probably got to go to break here. Soon. Do we have to go to break? Can I do a PSA quickly? On this day, go ahead. Do not say I'm begging you, folks. No happy Turkey Day, and don't don't do the gobble gobble thing. It's imbecilic. Oh. Thank you. you no, know, it's funny. You guys just Scrooge. mentioned this. Like, yeah. like everybody on one side of the pool, and it seems like we're obviously in a seasonal period where like the market yeah. could just squeeze up into your end, and that, yeah. and then and then people just can't put their finger on it. You know, rate. Titan cycle, that's what we kind of know that's going to happen, three or four next year. It just seems like it's going to be something that we don't expect at this point. And I, and I can't, I, I, the list gets shorter and shorter as the market goes higher but and higher. Importantly, we talked about yesterday, the, the international money that's been flowing in that we've seen on the desk has been fierce. And usually that's the last dollar to come into the U.S. market and really kind of push to, you know, valuations to a higher level. I think it's first quarter, you know, with the markets giving it sort of like the, you know, the sort of, you know, end line for tax reform. And then I think we price it in. And then if we don't get it, it's going to sell off. Uh, dollar's been kind of range bound. I think you can actually go back in and buy Germany. It's been a lot made about Merkel, um, EWG. EWJ, again, Japan topic's been the best performing market in the world with the best earnings growth of the developed markets, trading at a significant discount. Check that out. Still ahead, Tim got a hot hand, knocking pitch after pitch out of the park. So can he do it again with a stock that's been lagging the market this year? We will find out when he delivers his fast pitch. Plus, turkeys don't fly, but people do. And a record number of you are expected to hit the airports this Thanksgiving weekend. Contessa Brewers in Newark. How is it out there, Contessa? Oh, it looks good out here, Melissa. And you know, there's probably airlines giving thanks for packed planes this holiday season. But also a lot of travelers probably giving thanks for a big surprise at the airports. You want to find out what that is after a quick break here. Am I allowed to say gobble gobble? Welcome back to Fast Money. It is the day before Thanksgiving, in case you didn't know. It's a really busy day for travel, especially at the airports. Contessa Brewers at Newark International Airport with more. Hi, Contessa. Hi there, Melissa. You know how it is when you get to the airport and there's that crush of cars and people trying to get their bags out of the cars and get inside? You would think on one of the busiest travel days of the year you'd see that here at Newark United's Hub. But no, in fact, we've seen it be fairly organized today. And in fact, that's in spite of air travel from Newark itself up more than 6% this year. Those are all the airlines. United alone is expecting some 44,000 people to depart just today. 400 flights to uh, places around the country. And then when passengers get inside, look, there's open kiosks to print out your boarding pass. The security lines are fairly reasonable. We're seeing that nationwide, that there's this trend. 51 million people overall traveling this year. Uh, That's up 3.3% over last year. More people than have traveled on this holiday weekend than since 2005. And yet when they get here, there's no major misery. Take a look at this misery map by Flight Tracker. What we're seeing is that things look astonishingly calm across the nation. In fact, the most misery right here at Newark Airport. And yet I don't see why. I checked the flights to San Francisco and to Houston, Chicago. Everything is on time. And where there are delays, they're very slight at this point. One of the things that's making travelers really happy is that they've paid cheaper airfares than they have since 2013. Uh, and in fact, they're down 23% over last year. A lot of people thankful for that, Melissa. Yeah, it looks downright empty there, Contessa. <laughs> Thank you for yeah. that report, Contessa Brewer. Despite <laughs> some crowds, airlines have had a turbulent run of late, and that's weighed on the transport. Check out the Dow Transport, sinking more than 3% over the past month. The biggest losers, Alaska Air tumbling a whopping 18%. Southwest CSX falling 7%. UPS sinking 5%. Norfolk Southern down 3 Dow theorists would say trouble ahead. 
Tim, are you a Dow theorist? Uh, I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I certainly believe in some of these correlations, and I actually think the transports have some room to go higher. I think that the airlines uh, are, are comfortably near the bottom of a zone. They have a lot to prove here in terms of how efficient they can be. Again, Prasm, passenger revenue per available seat miles. If you start to see that creep up, um, it's, it's, you know, it's actually where you want to be, but the, the negative headwinds there are things that have been keeping these guys down. The free cash flow is fine. I think these guys are running their businesses better, but we don't believe that if we look at the valuations. Well, you just heard our cheaper flights, and oil is up to the high end of the range here. So I think that's, that's concerning. I mean, you look at a lot of these airlines, I mean, they have to be able to move prices higher in times like this, and they're having a struggle doing it. So I think that's going to hold the group back. Yeah, but you look at Delta, for example. Trades around 10 times forward earnings, give less. or take. So, Maybe a little. No, it probably yeah. is less. You probably have 11% EPS growth. October numbers were very good. You're going to get November numbers in a week or so. Uh, you know, $50 stock. A lot of analysts have a $68 price target on this. So I get the last couple of months have been difficult to own these stocks. But I think the risk-reward in a name like Delta, to me, on the long side, sets up pretty well. Yeah, and I guess, you know, if you're going to talk about the transports and talk about what it means for the broader market, I don't, don't think you want to spend too much time on the airlines. You really want to focus on the behemoths, which is FedEx and UPS, and how they fare through this holiday cycle. Their stocks have sold off over the last few weeks from making 52-week highs. And, you know, we know that they've had some difficulty uh, just preparing for busy holiday seasons, especially as um, e-commerce has been ramping over the last five years or so. So this is one, and I think they both report in the next couple of weeks. I know uh, FedEx does. So that could be real determinant of this sector in general. Still ahead, the proxy battle between Nelson Peltz and Procter & Gamble is heating up. The company saying it will now challenge the board's vote, or at least review it. We'll bring you the latest details. Plus, Tim has made his way over to the plasma. He's warming up to pitch one lagging stock that's down 13% this year. So why is okay. he pitching it? We will find out when Fast Money returns. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Last month, Tim pitched PayPal for a breakout. You can see this stock has been up like a rocket this year. The question is, uh, we talked about this, is the multiple at 30 times worth it? You know it is. It's growing faster by PayPal. Well, PayPal has been on fire this year, and since Tim's pitch, it's up another 15%. So, Tim, you still like it? You're so long? What? Yeah, and, and it's, the, it's the asset light play now. There's a couple different catalysts, but again, they've sold off some assets. I think they're using their cash balance sheet. They're using the optionality there. I think you stay long. Payments are, are on fire. Well, since Tim has a hot hand over here, why don't we give you another fast Let's do it. from you, right? Head yeah. on over to the plasma. We're walking and talking. So uh, I want to talk about the steel sector. I want to talk about U.S. steel. I want to talk about a stock that I think ultimately is best position to take advantage of any policy changes that I think we may or may not have in Washington. But again, look, the, the bottom line here is you've had a recovery in steel prices that's been a very significant tailwind. Some of that is China taking dirty supply off market. Some of that is truly a recovery in the steel market. Uh, tubular prices are up. The sensitivity for U.S. steel because of their fixed costs, and that could be seen as a negative, is enormously high when steel prices go up. So a $50 move higher in steel prices equals a 40% EBITDA lift. Free cash flow and balance sheet, let's just talk a little bit about this because this is actually important. People, if you think about where we were in the first quarter of 2016, they were pushing around U.S. steel on this whole concept of, of leverage and balance sheet and possibly even bankruptcy. Totally wrong. They brought down net debt to $1.2 billion. They're generating free cash flow. The valuation is very interesting. And then finally, the uptrends in tax. So I want to take us to the chart because that's also why, even for momentum players, I think U.S. steel is a very interesting play moving forward if I can. Um, there we go. Oh, 
Okay, so first, let me hit clear and clear out those charts. So bottom line here is, if you think this is where we were in Jan of 2016, I just want to draw a trend because you can make an argument that this trend has been intact the entire time. And as sloppy as that line looks, the bottom line is we've challenged a lot of directional in here. It's held above the 200. It's held above the 100. And this is a channel that I think is actually very interesting for a stock that is enormously volatile. We've seen three, four, five percent moves up and down over the last two to three months. And certainly based upon any expectation of policy deals. Remember, Wilbur Ross is a steel market guy. This is the guy in Washington who's got their back. We really haven't heard anything out of this. And when we have, it's been a rocket. Meanwhile, the stock holds without that Go buy this now. Yeah, Tim, I'm with you. 100% agree. We talked about Wilbur Ross. I'll push back on the politics. What if the, the Trump administration were to soften their <laughs> stance regarding China and their steel production? I, I think U.S. Steel has looked into that abyss. I don't think that the stock is really trading necessarily on, on, on tariffs and slapping at least protectionism on it. I think U.S. Steel is trading higher on the performance. If you look at the last couple quarters, they've been generating free cash flow, but it's steel prices. Again, HRC prices around 570, 580. They were above 600. I think they're going higher. That's obviously huge for them. All right. Time to vote. Seabrook, what do you say? Uh, I, am, I am 100% with Tim on this. I am a buyer of steel. Uh, this is a global growth story, and I think a lot of the China issues have been cleared up, and I think this is a, this is a name they'll continue to work to the long side. So stay long, letter X. I know you guys are all geeked up about this global synchronized thing or whatever, but a lot of stuff I read uh, tells me that it's kind of decelerating a little bit. The, I don't know what you're and, reading, pal. Well, let me just tell you, you, tell you, you're, tell you this, Tim. Tommy, you're honestly, the biggest argument seemed that you made is off a really bad line. Again, for the second power pitch in a row, your line, I think that thing is trending. This was the bottom, Dan. Long -term this is the bottom in Jan of so 2016. Like it tested like it here. Tested and I think it here. you sell the X here. Wow, I just asked you to Jesus. Vote. Again, you're a chart guy. I don't know where you're getting that. Anyway, guy. It's funny. I wrote my little X marks a spot before uh. I saw the lower third graphic X marks a spot. I would agree with Tim. I will say Cowan recently upgraded the stock. I think they put a 20 $8 price target on it. I bet you they upgraded again or raised their price target. And I'll say this very quickly. There's a little gap in that chart that Tim didn't mention, but I will say somewhere between 33 and 35 is where we sort of uh, filter in. All right, two buys, one sell here on the desk, but we do want to hear from you at home. So head to Twitter right now and vote in our poll at CNBC Fast Money. The results will come later in the show. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Deer jumping about 4%, topping the tape, having its best day in six months. The stock, in fact, hitting an all-time high after crushing earnings. It is now up more than 40% this year. Do you chase Deer here? Yeah, I think so. You know, fourth quarter is very good. You just mentioned both on the EPS side and on the revenue side. But you look at where the guidance for the first quarter, they guided equipment sales up 38%. This is a company that's now trading 20 times forward earnings with the EPS growth to back it up. And as people get more and more optimistic about this global synchronized recovery that Tony Dwyer speaks about, my man Marco over there, who we just had to translate, but he spoke of similar things. People are getting all fired up, and John Deere wins to this environment that we find ourselves That's in. That's what you would call right. a subtweet. 
Subtweet. Sub yeah. Do you that sub was, yeah. No, that was not cool. What, me? Yeah, but I, I, it just seems like, you know, we were talking about this stock earlier. I mean, obviously it's had a massive gap. We saw a lot of industrial stocks in the last in this past earnings cycle do this exact sort of thing. Gap up to all-time highs, a massive volume. It seems like there's just this euphoria, and I just don't know where they go because we're starting to have a combination of multiple expansion in a big, big way, right? And right, but the earnings are being driven by top-line growth. The earnings are being driven by top-line growth. It's not manufactured earnings growth. So I look at it and say, Guy, you're 100% right. The story will continue to work. Will continue well, to work. For a period of time, again, I think the stock's expensive here. Would I be chasing it to, you know, Monday morning or tomorrow morning? The answer is no. But, guys, but I, if John Deere is working, what, what else is this symptomatic of? If John Deere is working, right. the ag sector is working, the housing sector is working, and what you're hearing from their order book is it is. And, and I think I look at a lot of the ag stocks. They've been subject to just really poor spot commodity prices in wheat and corn. Uh, I think some of that is turning. I think Mosaic is on an upturn. Again, a technical chart that I kind of like here. So I would look at your ag names and I would look at your mining names because they're moving if if Deere's business is that strong, that's telling you something. All right, up next, did Tim's pitch for X Ooh. mark the spot? There's still time to vote, so head to Twitter right now. We will reveal the results right after this. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Well, you know what Tim likes to listen to when he's done carving the turkey. He watches marathon sessions of Dirty Dancing because America oh! is for letter X. Come on, get me. Lee, come on. God, I like Bonded. it. I mean, come yes. on, I'm with you. You are a buyer. Congrats, Tim. <laughs> gobble, gobble. Head of this turkey yeah, day. Gobble, gobble. All right, ship gears. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving, so while there are many things to be thankful for, our traders have picked four stocks they are especially thankful for this year. So, Tim, kick it off. Yeah, I'm thankful for emerging markets because they've given me a career. I'm also thankful for valuations and EPS growth at 22%, roughly better uh, outperformance this year to develop markets, which will continue. Stay there. David? I'm thinking for OLED. Started pitching at 60 bucks. You can see where it's trading right now, 100 and 160 bucks. This is a very, very thick IP company. They got all intellectual property on all these patents for OLED. It's a buy. Dan? Uh, I'm thankful for BK and, and Bitcoin, actually, because that has helped me offset some contrarian short trades this year. Gobble, gobble, guy. Happy, happy turkey day. I'm happy, happy, I'm, happy I'm thankful for all of you. I'm also thankful for Lockheed Martin. That's a company stock that just keeps on giving, Mel. We are thankful for you out there. Yes. I'm Melissa Lee. Have a great Thanksgiving. Mad Money starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.